Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown, where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. Tall tales. True stories. And current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 110 of the Brown County Hour. This is Dave Seastrom. And Vera Grubbs, along with the rest of the crew. This month's show features an interview with Keenan Rainwater as he shares what he's been doing with Rainwater Studio during the past year of COVID. And we'll share the music of three artists he has recorded there. Jim Eagleman shares his thoughts about Earth Day. We have interviews with author Sharon Bussert, Megan Gershwa from the Humane Society, and Hannah Estabrook from the Brown County Playhouse. Rick Fettig reprises a wedding memory, and Dave Seastrom shares his reflections on spring. Segment one begins with our interview with Keenan Rainwater as he gets us up to speed with the activities at Rainwater Studios. Jim Eagleman shares his thoughts on Earth Day and will close with Matthew Marcel's song recorded at Rainwater Studio, Backyard Dog. Keenan Rainwater, who is in our studio this evening, to talk about a little project that he's been working on, actually before COVID hit, but he's had this last year to really refine it, and it's called The Stream, and you have a recording that we're featuring this month called The Best of the Stream Mixtape, Winter 2021, the winter no one will forget. Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, Keenan, good to see you again, man. Yeah, likewise, Dave. Thanks for having me. Tell us about it. What have you been up to, pal? Well, as you mentioned, uh, I started working on Rainwater Studios uh, before the pandemic hit when fiber optic internet came through my neighborhood, and I realized the value of being able to work from home rather than traveling uh, to my audiences. I could perform from my home to audiences around the world, and uh, as I realized that and got a little better at it, I, I started having friends come down, uh, my guinea pigs, in other words, uh-huh. where I could hone my craft uh, on them. They were very patient and uh, generous with their talents, and uh, 
some of those people were like uh, Dakota Curtis, and we had him down several times. We had Frank Jones in. We had we had a Dakota Curtis month, and we had a Frank Jones month, uh, where we would invite these people down. Uh, you had Re- each Reverend week. Breezy too. Reverend Breezy came in, but more on their own. Uh, they did a sound check to our stream one Wednesday, and then on a Thursday they hired us to stream them on their page I to see. their fans. Okay. Yeah. So it was a little bit of a special case scenario when they okay. were feeling their way through this pandemic situation when their shows su- shut down, and that was a real privilege and an honor for us to well I want to make it clear them. to the audience that not only are you recording this as an audio recording but you also film all of this this is a it's also a video yes that's that's really our niche uh, I don't intend for the studio that I operate out of uh, the old garage woodworking shop to replace places like the old farm fresh now called primary sound studios or Russian recording or any of the uh, very high-end studios that we have locally that uh, can do a great job with a very complex production. They have isolation rooms. They, they're they very uh, specific in their intent, which is the full-on, full-band audio production, overdubbing, track-by-track, track, the complexities of Pro Tools and, and the mixing and the mastering. Um, what I intend is to focus on live performances on video with uh, multiple camera angles that are all controlled by a small crew because it's all at this point, volunteer-based. So we run the studio with anywhere from two to four people. Uh, we have a, a typically a lighting person, a sound person, a video operator, and then a host. And uh, specializing in video allows us to bring live performances to people's homes. It allows uh, artists to share their, their art and their craft with people all over the world. And what we hope is a very high-quality format, 1080p, 60 frames per second with uh, board feed audio quality, and it's typically pretty representative. I have observed that there's been an evolution and that you have refined your product as the time has gone on. That is so true. When it started out, I was just live streaming my own band, and I used a little Zoom Q8 handy cam that had an audio interface built into it. It was a single angle, and... uh, we did that for a while, and then we moved on to uh, using some software that allowed us to integrate multiple camera angles, and we used iPhones for a while with multiple iPhones set up in different <laughs> locations because, you know, we have iPhones for right. personal use, and we can borrow right. iPhones from our friends and family. Uh, so when we moved on from that, we purchased one, basically a robotic camera that we could control with a joystick, and we used a combination of that with iPhones. And that's a little bit problematic because when you switch camera angles, they don't look the same. Right, right. right. So we, uh, as quick as we could, we got away from that. And fast forward to today, and we use three uh, of the exact same robotic cameras to capture the stage. And we have one in the control room where we now introduce the show, recap the last week's show. Eric Hamblin's been volunteering his time at the soundboard. So now he has a little segment where he uh, talks it up and we really appreciate his help. He's another local musician. All right. But yeah, it's been evolving. And as money comes in from our patrons on Patreon, or as I uh, am able to squirrel away a little bit of cash, I'll buy another podcasting microphone mm-hmm. or save up for bigger purchases like the next soundboard that we're going to get. We'll jump out of the uh, early 2000s and into 2021 technology. There you go. Like a lot of folks, uh, the Brown County Hour had to face what, you know, our isolation and being sequestered alone at home and... A lot of our shows were recorded on iPhones, Mm -hmm. and we are now at a point where 
you and I are here in the studio together, and the sound quality is absolutely back where it should be. Right. And that was never really an issue for you, um, you know, because you're in the studio and you're using real mics and all of that. But now that you've evolved your technology, the images get better. Yeah, and that's uh, that's a big deal when you're – like the ultimate goal is to see uh, these live streams become more like – pay-per-view situations like people watch mma Mm -hmm. things or they watch pro sports as a pay-per-view option and that's a a mainstreamed idea that that's quality entertainment in your home and we believe that music can be the same way and live performances can be the same way keenan would you tell us how we can see these productions and get a hold of you and follow all of this oh totally uh every wednesday night at 8 p.m we live stream to facebook and to YouTube at Rainwater Studios. Uh, I say every week. There has been one or two over each year where we uh, go on vacation or something. But for the most part, you can catch us every week at 8 p.m. on YouTube and Facebook. And then more recently, as you mentioned earlier, we've been hosting a Best of Stream showcase. We make an album that we called the Best of Stream uh, mixtape, Winter 2021. And we presented that particular album on March 22nd at the Playhouse. And we invited the artists who were featured on the album to come and perform live at the Playhouse to a live audience at the album release show. So if you enjoy what you see online, please come check out the next performance at the Playhouse, which will be July 17th, where we'll feature the best of stream spring 2021. And we work with a local artist uh, this year. It's Matt Brookshire taking photos of... uh, local regional scenery and then we apply those wonderful images to the front and back of the album and to the cd face and we hope to continue to integrate the visual arts into the uh, musical arts and uh, please do just come check us out on facebook and youtube at wednesday nights at 8 p.m excellent keenan thanks so much for coming in and sharing all of this information really appreciate it it's been my pleasure Earth Day, the mere mention of the event can help us identify with all the spring glory now around us. Probably a good thing the first people to recognize Earth Day meant for it to be in the spring when there's warmth and color, sunshine, greenery all around us. Good thinking, Earth Day organizers. Can you ignore the fact that the Earth is a grantor of all good things, a place to live in harmony with nature, where we grow plants out of the earth and eat things from the garden, while seeing beauty before you, birds singing and all that other stuff, pretty great to know we can live with most things provided, like wood, air, soil, trees, vegetables, water, sunshine. A roof over our heads and heat on winter days is an added bonus, again, provided by nature and the good earth. Hmm, maybe some recognition is in order, or at least a kind gesture extended towards our mother earth. Maybe a nod to all the people who take care of it, replenish it, restore it, and try to renew when and where they can. Like a precious jewel, a special gift, something rare, you naturally want to take care of it so it's still around. A bumper sticker lately said, Take care of our Mother Earth. She's the only one we've got. And there's no planet B, said another one. Treat your mother with love, another one. 
Bumper stickers make you think when you read them, and I like them for that. Our native plant area is responding nicely to some recent gentle showers. The bare soil sprinkled with leaf mulch on the surface and compost, more leaves and rotting branches underneath, revealed some fat earthworms the other day with the turning over of soil. It seems as though our front yard has transpired through many stages over the years as our family grew, maybe like yours, from attempted lawn with hoses and fertilizers to hosta plants mowed down each year by hungry deer to better soil brought in by the truckload and now a natural area that seems far better fitted for where we live and what we like to look at. A patch of moss flocks and the monarda blooming, for example, gives two shades of purple I never saw there before. Colors in several wildflowers can be comforting and refreshing, I find. It's always been something of a small miracle to me, starting out as a third grader, when the garden was first tilled, to see later the young pea and potato plants eventually come up I envisioned some kind-hearted old man with a straw hat and dirty pants, the one responsible, no family member. At some point, he came by the garden, maybe at night, the same garden I played in with my tractors and wagons, to ensure that my next visit would be different. I don't know how he meant to do that. Within a few days, it seems, instead of roads and dams and rocks to push around with my toys, there were now magically yellow-green shoots popping up, like a long line of tiny telephone poles, and it took time to drive around them with care. I was reminded by my mom I'd be back with a basket in several weeks to eventually pick the produce and to get ready for some wonderful suppers. But before that, stakes and wire cages removed my tiny city. The roads disappeared, and the wagon I hauled tiny pebbles in was now full of rainwater. A fair trade, I thought, if what my mom said would be a delicious supper, so I gladly forwarded the space. The plants grew, bent over with the weight of vegetables I barely knew the names of, leafy and reaching way out over my head. The garden was absolutely transformed to a different place than bare soil and stakes weeks before. Tight strings was laid out to determine the planting lines. Now it was a green jungle that hardly let you pass along and in between each row. The small plot we rent at the Parks and Rec Community Garden now only grows zinnias. We find better luck at the farmer's market with what we love to eat. Big, fat, juicy tomatoes, sweet corn, and radishes that other gardeners grow and sell. Their green thumb is better suited for coaxing things out of the ground than mine. My parents must have known more tricks to use than me when gardening. Their results well suited enough to enter their potatoes at the county fair. My attempts in recent years fail miserably, and I seem to know what my native plants need to grow rather than what the tomatoes and the beets need. Earth Day can be a celebration of things we get, things we require, all good and necessary things. The same earth that grew my mom's produce, the poor soil that went along with my plants to grow grass and hostas, that is now healthier and growing my native plants instead, well, it continues to sustain and support us. This greenish-blue marble that floats through space is all we've got. Views from space remind us it's not an infinite system, rather one with limited resources if they are treated that way, but most if not all our natural resources can be renewable and recycled. Even items years ago not considered recyclable now have a market. It's best to pay attention to what signs it shows is unhealthy, where we can step in to help heal what it tells us is required, and it makes sense to heed the science that all life is based on. Today, tip a hat 
nod, a smile, wink an eye, raise a glass, recycle some cardboard, compost your three meals, not because it's close to Earth Day, the one day to pay tribute, but because it's a ritual and a regular thing we can do every day. Tread lightly, live locally, and act globally, says another bumper sticker. Recycle, renew, reuse, refuse, remember. Happy Earth Day. Jim Eagleman for Nature Ramblings. WFHB-FM, the Brown County Hour. Thanks for listening. All right. When you listen to the Best of Stream mixtape winter 2021, I would draw your attention to the leadoff song from Matthew Marcel. It's a tune called Backyard Dog, and it is extremely dynamic. Shot eyes and a white sharp tooth. Beast that shines is mean at me. My mama's house ain't till the next street. Pack of kids with torn up jeans. Every one of them knows that beast. Bar like thunder and a bite from hell. Teach these kids how to run. Go. chase me, cause doggy don't like me, but I'll get the gun when I get bigger, and when I come back here. Now we pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 in Ellettsville, and online at wfhb.org. Peaceful Valley Heritage is pleased to announce Heritage Arts Week, May 9th through the 15th which will celebrate our local art history with a series of events. Anchoring this week will be the dedication of the new historical marker, Art Colony of Brown County, placed in the Village Green. This unveiling will occur Thursday, May 13th at 3.30 p.m. There are additional events, including a children's art fair and musical performances. You can find more information on their Facebook page, Peaceful Valley Heritage. 
to everyone that knew John Franz. There will be a celebration and tribute to John on May 8th at Mike's Dance Barn. Check out our Facebook page and website for a link to details. Segment two begins with Vera Grubb's interview with local author Sharon Bussard. Megan Gushwa tells us about the great things going on at the Humane Society. And we'll hear another tune recorded at Rainwater Studios from Michael Mulder called Remembers Me. This is Vera Grubbs with the Brown County Hour. I have as my guest today Sharon Bussard, who just published a novel. Sharon, tell us the name of your novel and a little bit about what it's about. It's called The First Child. I haven't read any any summary of it. Oh, well, you should get the whole book and read it. That's what yeah, you should do. <laughs> I could. Okay, so the book is about, um, there are two main characters who are females, Catherine and Maria. And there's a little boy who's a main character whose name is Chavo. And the book is about, um, Catherine is a fairly high-powered um, advertising person who is married and has a child, but she kind of feels like her family gets in the way of her career. And Maria is a Spanish woman uh, with a little bit of mysterious past. And Chavo is a little boy who's kind of a street child in Madrid who opportunistically steals the handbags of these two ladies when they're injured in a bombing. And the rest of the story is sort of the aftermath of what happens when one of these women loses her memory and doesn't know who she is and Uh doesn't have her ID or anything to tell her who she is. High expectations there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope that you'll read it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I will. How and where can one acquire a copy of your new novel? Right now, the book is available in print or as an ebook through Amazon. And shortly, like within the next week or so, it will also be available at our gallery here in Nashville. Sharon, we've known each other for a long time. Yes, I we remember have. having a long conversation with you about your writing. I believe you had me read a manuscript just so you could have some critical feedback. I don't remember specifically what you read, but it may have been this book, or it may have been another one I'm working on. Now your novel is published. Tell us about the process of bringing an idea in your head to a full-blown book. In other words, how does the creative process work in you? All of my life, it's felt like I have characters in my head, not in like a Sharon's crazy kind of way, but like there's people telling stories in my head. (laughs) And for a long time, I wanted to write a book, and I was just really stumped by the idea of how would you get a whole book in your head and then get it out of your head without forgetting it. And this book that was just published, I decided one day that I had this character who just kept reappearing in my head, and I decided I would just start writing down his story and not worry about what else was happening in the rest of the book. And that worked really well for me. While I was writing the book, people kept saying, oh, tell me how it ends. And I kept saying, I don't know how it ends because I haven't gotten there yet. I'm like, but you have to know it's your book. And I didn't. I was just writing. I'd sit down. I'd say, hmm, what were you characters doing yesterday? And I'd start writing and they'd do something else the next day. And <laughs> it kind of just wrote itself that way. <laughs> Once I quit worrying about getting to the end, it came out very nicely. Excellent. Did you avail yourself of writing courses or workshops at all? Well, at Purdue, I did study some creative writing. My original plan in life had been to do uh, magazine journalism, and I have throughout my life done some freelance in that area. 
So I had some creative writing classes at Purdue. But when I was actually writing the book, I well, I was in a writer's group for a little while. But for me, it works better to just take the time I have and just write. What influences played a primary role in this novel? A good part of this book comes from my experience of living in Madrid in 1985 and 1986. Part of the book is set in that city. And it comes from a lot of the memories. It's not anything like a personal story or anything, but it's just the memories of what it was like in that city. You know, being there is very different than being in the Midwest, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) And just the experience of the people that I came across while I was living there and the things that were different in the society. So a lot of it came from that. I'm always curious about how a writer sets up the environment and the time frame that may be most conducive to writing. How do you handle your schedule in a given day? (laughs) (laughs) Is that too much to ask? (laughs) No, it's not too much to ask. For most of my life, I've had another job in addition to writing, and the writing has been in stolen hours here or there. There was a period of time when we lived in London for a couple of years that I didn't have another job. And so I did primarily write. And then I would, after breakfast, I would sit down. I had an office. Um, I would sit down and I'd write at least until lunchtime. And then if I was particularly inspired, I might write some more in the afternoon. Strangely, though, it wasn't more productive than the stolen hours. There's something about knowing that you have, you know, children everywhere and jobs demanding my attention and such that it's like, and now I have an hour. I'm going to write something. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell me what... Brown County itself has embedded in you a a series of images that you might translate to a novel? Yes. Being in Brown County is great because it's filled with creative people. And I did have an interesting experience. Uh, Last spring, Jessica, my partner, was working out in New York. And when she was finished with that work contract, I was going to get her. And, of course, it was the pandemic and everything was shut down. So I had this long drive to make by myself and not necessarily specific to Brown County, but to the Midwest. I had a whole bunch of characters appearing in my head on that drive thinking about, can you imagine what this would be like if you came from, say, a big city on the West Coast or something, and suddenly you find yourself driving through the Midwest and some of the things that are very normal to me because I grew up here, when I was seeing them through these characters' eyes, it's like, wow, that would be weird. (laughs) I remember stopping in a place that was selling frozen pickle juice. And I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, that, that's a weird one. And all the religious billboards and things were, you know, it's like, that would be very strange if you came from somewhere else and you weren't used to seeing large Christian billboards everywhere, that would really strike you. <laughs> and so this, this is a character that's still in my head and hasn't done anything yet, but um, she's still in there. <laughs> and I think she might be the next book. Yeah. After the one that I'm already partway through. I see. Thank you so much, Sharon, for coming out. Well, thank you for having me. (laughs) It is my pleasure to introduce Megan Gushwa, who is the Community Relations Manager for Brown County Animal Shelter. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Um, Let's 
Why don't you start by telling us what it is that you do? Absolutely. Well, first, thank you for having me. We always love to come share our story a little bit with everyone. So personally, I'm the community relations manager for the shelter. Um, it's kind of a fancy title for I do a little bit of everything. Um, okay. <laughs> starting with I do a lot of our coordination for our volunteers, so getting them in there so that way they can help out the staff and with our events, that type of thing. Then I also do all of our marketing and social media. So that's what brings me here today. Well, excellent. And you guys have been really on the ball, uh, raised a bunch of money, have built this entire additional structure. And please tell us about all the exciting work that's been going on. Yes. And we could not be more excited for this. It's been something, you know, that building's about 33 years old that we're in now. And this has been something that the board and different people have been really working on for close to 10 years now, just to decide when were we ready to do this because we knew it needed to happen. So we started, you know, very low key in 2018. And here we are now, 2021, getting ready to move into that new building. And that's 100% because of our community and their support. Well, that's excellent news. Do you have a tentative date for when you're going to move in? Well, funny you ask. Um, This week, we have our final walkthrough with our architect and our contractor, and they do what they call their punch list, which is basically the architect goes through and nitpicks little things that says this needs to be done, this needs to be done. So we may very well have our keys within the next couple weeks. Okay. And then we're anticipating about a month to really get it ready and be able to move into it after that because we still have a lot of work on our end of, you know, different types of installation over there. Is there going to be a celebration? We're still working on that. Um, As you can imagine, that's very dependent on our environment and what we're allowed to do. So, um, you know, right now, as much as we want to have this giant party and let everyone come in, we're not sure it's the safest or the right option for the community. So we're going to be doing a lot of virtual things. We're going to have lots of videos, some tours, different things like that. And when the time gets closer, we'll kind of make that determination of what for sure that's going to look like. Well, why don't you talk a little bit about the services that you offer? And I understand that you are, at this point, a no-kill shelter. And I've lived in Brown County a long time, and Mm -hmm. it's remarkable to see the development. It is crazy when you look back at just even 10, 15 years ago, the changes we've made. Um, Last year, we did achieve a 99% save rate. And I will say that 1% was actually all animals that unfortunately we weren't able to save because they came in with some kind of medical issue. Um, Lots of kittens, unfortunately. You know, they come in so small. We just do everything we can and we can't get there for the best of their condition. So, Mm. you know, we do have that 99% save rate, which is one of the best in the entire country, which is kind of strange to think. Here's little Brown County and we're doing these amazing things. And we really are. I mean, we are working with several shelters in the state, trying to get them into the same position we're in, trying to get them to that no-kill. The big thing there is spreading our SPOT program, that spay-neuter program. I mean, that's decreased our intake in our shelter over 50% in the last 10 years just from that program. Wow. And so, you know, trying to not only adopt out cats and dogs, but make sure we're helping make it a better community and doing what we can for those around us to make them better. Well, I see in the paper every once in a while that you guys sponsor spay and neuter programs, Mm -hmm. and um, I'm sure that's had a tremendous impact on the community. It has had a huge impact. Like I said, the 50% decline just in animals coming to us is attributed to being able to fix the community-owned pets um, at a very reasonable rate. And, you know, we were wondering what's this going to look like with COVID last year, and honestly, 
as soon as we were able, we were back up and running once they, you know, released and we could get back into our vets. And we have just been nonstop since then. Um, A lot of the vet clinics are so behind on trying to spay neuter because they're doing everything they can that we can get animals in a little bit quicker. And I mean, we're just booking two to three transports a month of spay neuter animals. Just for the record, uh, my wife and I have two rescued dogs. <laughs> Thank one you. One of them that came from the Brown County Shelter. Okay. Uh, he's one of the best friends I've ever had in my life. And I think all of us appreciate the opportunity to not only have a dog as a companion, but to acquire one from a facility like yours. And those dogs and cats really need homes. They do, absolutely. And, you know... Nothing against buying the fancy purebred (laughs) dog, but, you know, dogs love you no matter what. So it's not like they have to have pedigree to, you know, be your best friend. Absolutely. They love you the same. Doesn't matter what they're made of. They still love you. And it's just crazy to see how excited they get just to see people, you know, when they do their meet and greets, it's the highlight of almost every one of those animal cat or dogs day. They get to meet new people. And the thought of them being able to go home is always fantastic. Well, our previous shelter dog uh, needed a dog, Mm -hmm. okay? And we took him to your shelter several times to interview dogs. So he literally picked his own companion. And, and, you know, the first time we've ever done this, and it worked so well. Um, And we got so much support from you guys who just really value the service that you provide to the community. Thank you. That's wonderful to hear. We always love, and I love that you call it interviewing a friend because that's absolutely what it is. You know, people come in and meet these dogs and we 100% encourage them to bring their other dogs because sometimes, you know, we're people. We don't like everyone, you well, know. Wilson sometimes. didn't like everybody. I mean. <laughs> yeah. They're the same way as us. They have their preferences and sometimes it just doesn't work. But once right. you find that one that clicks, you know, you can always tell with the animals instantly. Well, if we are interested in supporting your great cause, how can we do this? Absolutely. So you can always reach out to us. We always are in need of volunteers. I will say we're still a little strict in what we can do with volunteers right now, but we are very hopeful in the new building we'll be able to open back up with so much more space. Um, If you've been to our current shelter, you know there's no such thing as space. So having more than one, you know, volunteer and a couple staff in there is too much. So we're really hopeful with being able to get some more volunteers in once we get that space opened up. We've got several events coming up this year, attending those um, is always a great help because those proceeds always go right back to us and you can learn about those on our website or on our Facebook page. Well, I'm sure they'll be in the newspaper too. Oh, absolutely. Yep. So what is your website and your Facebook page? So both of them are BC Humane. So the website's just www.bchumane.org and on Facebook and Instagram we're BC Humane. Well, Megan, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story with us. And I know that uh, people of Brown County totally support what you're doing. And we couldn't do it without them. And I mean, that's 100% the truth. That's how this new shelter is possible. That's how a 99% save rate is just the support, both morally, financially, I mean, any way you can think of, that's how we make what we do happen. So thank you. Thank you so much for your efforts. Michael Mulder, his song, Remembers Me, appears on our Best of Stream mixtape. It's quiet in his one-bedroom apartment Ever since He moved in without her An old man 
80 Some folks say he's crazy Though he barely ever spoke a word It's getting harder every day Since mom passed away doesn't seem to know where he is Never heard him say I love you Didn't mean he didn't want to well, I can tell it's just how he was raised Calloused hands, callous mind We lose these things over time Memories of days gone down one by one But in his eyes I still see He remembers me Took him in when he got back Never thought I'd see my dad Fall down and not get back up This is how it's supposed to be We go out the way we came Even though it hurts me so much Calloused hands, callous mind these things over time Memories of days gone Dwindle down one by one But in his eyes I still see He remembers me other's arms True love is hard on the heart And losing them was the hardest part Callous hands, callous mind We lose these things over time Memories of days gone dwindle down one by one. Now we pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville and online at wfhb.org. Support for the Brown County Hour comes from listeners like you and the support of the Brown County Inn, a family-friendly getaway destination located in Nashville, Indiana, offering locally sourced food, drinks, and live entertainment with banquet space, indoor-outdoor pool, miniature golf, and more. 
Information and booking available at browncountyinn.com. Our final segment begins with Hannah Estabrook, director of the Brown County Playhouse, as she fills us in on how they coped with a year of COVID, the changes they've made at the theater, and all the wonderful things they've planned for the year. We'll share a vintage Rick Fettig piece about a beautiful spring wedding that took place in Brown County State Park not so long ago. Dave Seastrom shares his reflections on spring, and we'll close the show with another recording from Rainwater Studio by Steve Plessinger and his song, The Kraken. Well, it is my pleasure to introduce Hannah Estabrook, who is the executive director of the Brown County Playhouse, and she is back in our studio again after a long year of COVID. Yes. Thank you for having me. Well, so glad to see you again. Um... You know, we all love the Playhouse, and uh, I know many of us are curious. Uh, How did you survive this last year, and what's next on the agenda? It was quite the challenge, but we did a great job. I think that everybody on the staff uh, really held through, and they were very nice to take some time off. While we were closed, we were closed for about four months total in the year 2020, which is a lot less than quite a few venues in the area and even just across the world. Uh, But we tried our best to stay open when we could just to keep our business sustainable. And we were doing that safely with very enforced social distancing. Um, I made sure that every patron that came through wore a mask, including our staff as well. And that really helped us. We were able to stay open by the grace of the health department here in town. Right now, we're still operating at a half capacity. So the state of Indiana is open and allowing all venues to operate at 100%, but the Brown County Playhouse has decided to operate at half capacity until further notice just to keep social distancing applicable. But our first events that we had back were in March, and we plan to have a couple this weekend and quite a full calendar coming up this year. So, And I'm pleased that you guys have chosen the responsible path. I mean, why not? Yeah. You know, we're so close to being through all of this. It, you know, it just seems a little crazy to jump the gun. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Thank you, because there are people that do disagree. But it's it's better for us and for our community to stay as safe as we possibly can and to remain open by abiding by those safety guidelines. So, Well, so what's on the agenda for this year? I, I know you guys have a lot of things on on the docket. So we do. Why don't yes. you share some of well, them? Well, sh- let me share just two great things that we got accomplished during the winter when we were closed. All right. Um, we ended up changing up our new snack bar area. We got a donation from Big Woods and Hard Truth Distillery. They gave us a brand new kegerator system. So we have nice. all Big Woods beer served at our new snack bar. And additionally, we've partnered with Brown County Winery, and they're supplying wines at our snack bar as well. So we are stepping up our game a little bit there. And we actually have a real bar there now. It's not just folding tables and okay. tablecloths. So so my, you can actually belly up to the bar yes. during intermission. My maintenance committee did an awesome job constructing that and designing it and putting it together. So I'm very, very happy with it. We also spruced up our art gallery that's in our space, and that is courtesy of the Artist Associates of Brown County. They don't charge us a fee or anything, and we don't we don't charge them a fee for hosting their art there, but they come and they exchange the artwork every quarter, 
And right now, over 40 artists are represented in the Brown County Playhouse right now with their artwork. It's my understanding that the art gallery has remained open throughout. Yes, the art gallery has been open throughout. So sometimes I'd be sitting in the office and people would come by and knock on the door and ask if they could take a look around and look at the art gallery. And that was my one way that I could continue to interact with people while we were closed. (laughs) Yeah, no, I thought that was a really good idea when I, I remember reading that in the paper. Thank you. We plan right now, actually, we're in the process of unveiling our new stage. I know that we just did that last year, but we are naming the stage after Susanna Zodi. And we are very excited. On June 5th is the tentative date. Um, 40 years of college will be playing, and we will be unveiling the new stage in honor of Susanna Zodi. I'm going to assume that 40 Years of College is a musical group? Yes. They have performed at the Playhouse quite a few times. They're a very popular band for us. Um, They're made up by the docs that rock. So it's a bunch of doctors that knew each other in college, and they still play it together now. Well, uh, they could probably afford to be musicians. (laughs) About the only people that can right now. Right. Right. Well, um, coming up very soon in June, we have our youth summer camp coming back. Very excited about that. I love any chance to interact with kids, so I cannot wait. We have our 10th annual finger style guitar competition Uh coming up this July. It'll be July 30th at the Brown County Inn and then uh, July 31st at the Brown County Playhouse. So get your tickets now. They are on sale. We're filling out our calendar. I'm working very hard every day to try to upload ticketing into our new system so that it can be put on our website. But essentially, you can expect to see no open weekend from July 1st through the end of the year. Excellent. So we're really happy about that. You guys are up and running. Yeah, I like to think so. (laughs) So come on down and see us and be sure to stop by our box office. We're open Thursday through Sunday. Hours vary, but usually 12 to 5. Our phone number is 812-988-6555. And you can always email us at info at browncountyplayhouse.org. Well, that's just excellent. Hannah, thank you so much for coming in and sharing this information. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. The bells are ringing for him and his gal. My dad's sister, Sally, the only one left in that generation of five kids, three girls and two boys. Her youngest son got married last weekend at Straw Lake Shelter House in the Brown County State Park. It was a real hillbilly wedding, and I mean that with great respect. It was very casual. The groom had on what appeared to be a new pair of black Carhartt jeans and a pair of those blondish-colored work boots. His shirt was a purple that was real close to the color of purple that the bridesmaids wore. The bride had a lovely bell-shaped dress with hoops inlaid, giving the dress its shape. She looked very sweet with her bare shoulders as she looked up and held the arm of her tall young man whose hair was like Mel Gibson's in Braveheart. She was barefoot as soon as the reception started, chasing kids around, hugging friends, posing for pictures, and beginning the food line. There was a tray of baked beans, potato salad, barbecue, chips, Bud and Bud Light, and a few bottles of wine. The groom spilled the champagne on his purple shirt when he opened it, and of course, they smashed wedding cake into each other's face, and you could tell that they were having fun with each other. Instead of a dance, they sang along with the John Prine song, In Spite of Ourselves, which Iris DeMint is part of. It was very quaint, and I wished them well. 
the location Straw Lake was a tremendous setting for such an event. A parking lot, of course, a grassy field for the kids to run and play in, and I was visiting with my aunt, so I didn't make the climb, but it looked like four stories of stairs up the hillside. At the top, there was a walkway that crossed over a beautiful waterfall that rushed down the four-story cliff, if I can call it that. Across the walkway was the lake, with a man-made earth dam that retained the water. Very picturesque, especially with the bridesmaids and flower girls trolloping in their long purple dresses. There are spectacular and beautiful places all around the world, but the unique character and beauty of the terrain here in southern Indiana can hold its own in any comparison. For most of us, we're on the road daily and perhaps in our yards. Many dog walkers and hikers are often seen along the side of the road. I'd like to remind everyone and encourage you to get off the beaten path and walk a deer trail or a ridgetop or valley. Appreciate our trees while we still have them. Walk barefoot in the creek. Inhale the freshness of the forest. But be thankful we can see the sun and that we're not surrounded by 10-story concrete buildings. We don't have 20-minute traffic jams. This is a very special place on the face of the earth. I trust you are thankful and enjoy a gathering at the park. It's the never-ending story of spring in all its glory. And around here, we're deep in the heart of this glorious season. The signs are everywhere. The entire forest is leafing out. The forest floor is covered in spring ephemerals. And if that's not enough to let us know spring is really happening, local folks are sharing photos of all the mushrooms they've found. Before long, the bass and the bluegills will be on the nest. And those who are ambitious enough to hunt or fish for these outstanding seasonal treats can look forward to some mighty fine eating that can only be had if someone goes out there and gets them. It's true that some folks sell mushrooms, but bluegill can only be had if you catch them yourself or if a good friend gives you some, and friends like that are hard to find. Becky and I go out every spring and hunt for morels, and sometimes we even find a few. There's a bit of magic when it comes to finding them, and for whatever reason, some folks are better at it than others. A good friend of mine tells me that I hunt for mushrooms, but he harvests them. That doesn't keep me from trying, but it would be nice to hit the mother load every once in a while and bring home a fine mess of these delicious morels. As I write these words, we have the possibility of snow showers and temperatures in the 20s in the forecast. And those of us who have already started planting our spring gardens are more than a little concerned. There's no denying that the weather's messed up, but snow in late April seems especially wrong. We had a similar batch of weather a few weeks ago, and most of the plants made it through without getting fried. We're hoping the plants will make it again this time, but, as always, we won't know until we see what happens. So far, most of our garden efforts have been in preparing the soil. A few years ago, I switched to raising vegetables and raised beds, and this has turned out to be a great way to grow a garden. Every spring, we begin our garden by weeding the raised beds and adding leaf compost. In the past, we use animal manure to enhance the soil, but it's so full of weed seeds that whatever nutrients the manure provides is offset by the thousands of weeds that infiltrate the vegetable beds. Composted leaves don't have any weed seeds, and it provides great nourishment for the soil. We live in a forest, 
and the one thing we have plenty of is fall leaves. We never disturb the leaves that fall in the forest, but the leaves that fall in the field and around the house are ground up with a lawnmower and piled up to rot. This process takes about 18 months, but now that the leaves are in the pipeline, we always have fresh compost every spring. Our driveway took a big hit this past winter. The freeze-thaw process produced lots of deep ruts that hold water, and that only gets worse the more we drive on it. A while back, we acquired a box grader, and I was looking forward to this spring to see if it worked as advertised. And by God, this little device did exactly what it was supposed to do. In all the years we've lived here, the drive has never looked better. No effort goes unrewarded, and now we have to get new gravel. The common theme in this collection of ramblings is that in order to have good things, like a garden or a smooth driveway, you have to do the work it takes to get where you want to go. WFHB is just winding up our spring fun drive, and if you're listening to our show, it's likely that you appreciate many of the great shows the station offers. WFHB is volunteer-powered, non-commercial radio. We offer a variety of diverse programming that includes music, public affairs, and an award-winning news department. In other words, there's a little something for everyone. Personally, I can't imagine life without this great radio station, and my wife and I are pleased to offer our own support. In fact, that's true across the board. Even though many of us volunteer our time to produce the shows you enjoy listening to, we also donate our own hard-earned dollars to keep the station going and growing. If you love the station as much as we do, and you would like to see it thrive, we encourage you to join the family and donate a few dollars. Think of it like adding compost to the garden. A little effort now means you can continue to enjoy the great programming you've come to appreciate, and maybe you'll even get a homegrown tomato out of the deal. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time. I would also point out Steve Plessinger and his song, The Kraken. It's an incredible song. It was featured at the Attic's Wake fundraiser at the Playhouse to great reviews. And now Steve is releasing it on his solo album. So check out The Kraken. you dancing looking my direction and the wild blue good swimming those eyes dip beneath the water that reflects the skies yeah dip beneath the water that reflects the skies when the waves crash against the bow, we try to take cover, but we don't know how. We find the captain's quarters and take that bottle down. And go wrestle with the crack in another round. Such a young girl to watch her father go and can't cling to her mother. And 
she's away from home Mow her all adrift Got her nets in the He's Got a prone struggle Got her own disease Yeah, got a prone struggle Got her own disease We try to take cover, but we don't know how. We find the captain's quarters and take that bottle down. Go wrestle with the Kraken another round. And if these timbers could only speak. They'd spin you a story that would last a week. When the wind moves through the bay, I hope you drift to shore. Hope your ship's okay. Yeah, hope you drift to shore. Hope your ship's okay. Scratch against the bound. We try to take cover, but we don't know how. We find the captain's quarters and pass that bottle round. Go wrestle with the Kraken another round. Find the captain's quarters and take that bottle down. And go wrestle with the Kraken another round. Go wrestle with the Kraken another round. Thanks for tuning in to episode 110 of the Brown County Hour. This show was recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. and anytime online. Be sure to look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe now more than ever the world is for everyone. This show was produced by Chuck Wills, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Jim Lemon, and Dave Seastrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You have been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. 
The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County home.